Well, it is so good to be together with those of you in the room and with those online. We're so grateful to share this moment with you. And uh, if you're new with us, we're so grateful to, to have you here and to share this moment with you. Just a reminder to what was said earlier, we have a gift for you after service, and we'd love to give that to you. So please take that Connect card that's located in the seat back of the chair in front of you and uh, just take it to the back. We'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. Hey, Westside, let's give those online and those that are new with us, uh, let, let them know how much we appreciate sharing this moment with them. Will you do that with me? Yeah. So good, so good to have you all together. I love being together. Today we are continuing the series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Counterculture, Following Jesus in a Cancel Culture. And I want to jump right into this today. Here's a series big idea that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks as we are looking at what it means to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't look like Jesus. And here it is, Jesus in Scripture, Jesus in Scripture, direct Christ followers to live counter to culture, not conform to it. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we see Jesus and we see his teachings and we see all of scripture as God's truth. That Jesus is the embodiment of God's truth. He fully reveals to us who God is and the things that he taught and all of the pro, all the things that talked about him in, in the scriptures in, in the Old Testament. We see that as true because of the resurrection of Jesus. And the teachings of Jesus in scripture lead us. They lead you and I for those of us who put our trust in Jesus. And this is for those of us who call ourselves Christians, who, who we believe in what Jesus did for us in the saving work and we're following him as our Lord. He leads us to live counter to culture and not conform to it. And so in light of Jesus and scripture, we're going to look at something today and we're going to ask, how does, how do we need to see our sexuality? How do we, what is God's will for our sexuality? We're going to talk about this today. And my prayer today is that, that you will see how we can follow Jesus with our sexuality in light of scripture and why, in light of what Jesus teaches and what scripture leads us to know. So I, I want to recognize something right at the top of the message here. I realize that this is a very painful topic for many people. There's a lot of pain and a lot of shame in this. There's shame that many people carry and pain in, we carry in our life, maybe because of something that was done to you in your past or something you did in your past or because of a current situation. This is a very sensitive topic, and I respect that, and I realize that. And I pray that today that you see this in a new way. And that you see this in a very healing, and you find healing today in a new way. And for those of you that are new with us, you're like, oh my goodness, I just came on this day. And if you're here, if Jesus is new to you, I want you to, this is my prayer for you today. I hope that you hear a different perspective than the church has given about our sexuality. This is my prayer, that you see this the way that we all need to see this. And I hope for those of us that are Christ followers, that you see this in a new way. Maybe this isn't new for some of you, but for some of you, this might be a new way that you can see our sexuality and maybe something different than you've heard before. And it's my prayer that many of us have what we need, a paradigm shift, a much needed paradigm shift. Do you know what a paradigm shift is? A paradigm is how you see and it's, it's the perspective from which you see. And today, I want to see, I want us to have a paradigm shift. And many of us need to see, have a paradigm shift when it comes to our sexuality. Because we're going to either see our sexuality through our own experiences, we're going to see it through the cultural experiences, or we're going to see our sexual, sexuality through God's view of us. 
Culture once is compelling you and I to see our sexuality through our desires, our wants, and our perceived needs. But God wants you to see your sexuality not in light of what you need and, 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 and what your perceived wants and desires are. God wants you to see your sexuality in light of his view and his design and his desires for you. See, God wants you to see you through his view of you. And the problem is, is we see life through our view. But God's view is so different. And this is what the Apostle Paul would say about God's view of you. It's something we've looked at every week, and we're going to look at it this week. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, through the lens of God's good news, that is for you, through a lens of mercy, this is how we need to see each other. This is how we see each other. When we see ourselves as God sees us, then we're going to be able to do what Paul says next. To offer your bodies, and I want you to circle that word bodies, because this is what we're talking about today. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, not your singing, this, not your Bible reading. This, not your prayer. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And now he talks about being counter to culture. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, Paul says, in light of God's view of you, you and I need to have a paradigm shift. Because when you have this paradigm shift, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, then, then you will know and be able to attest and approve what God's will is. His per good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will, even for your sexuality and mine. This is our response to God's mercy, is to live selflessly. In week one, we looked at what Jesus would say to be my disciple. He said you'd have to daily deny yourself, Take up your cross or daily die to yourself and follow me. Paul would say, this is the daily sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Daily denying ourselves, dying to ourselves and following Jesus. This is the holy and pleasing life that we live in view of God's mercy on you. So in view of God's mercy on you, how do you see you? And we need to see all of ourselves Every bit of ourselves, every part of ourselves, through, including our sexuality, through God's view and God's mercy. And why did God have to show mercy on us? Well, in view of God's mercy, the reason we, are, we need to see ourselves in God's mercy is we, when we look at ourselves in light of God's mercy, we recognize something. That all of us are born broken and we're all born broken without God. That in view of God's mercy, we are all broken. And the gospel is not good news unless we recognize this part. See, it's not good news unless you recognize that all of you is broken without Christ. See, we are all born with a broken identity. The brokenness of sin has affected our minds and bodies. In Genesis chapter 3, we see how because of humanity's sin that was introduced through Adam and Eve, Shame and pain were introduced into the human narrative. 
Shame and pain would break, be, be, be the result of the brokenness that we all would face because of the, the, the brokenness of our sin. And while we were created in the image of God, while Adam and Eve was created in the perfect image of God, and while you are created in the image of God because of the sin of humanity, that image of God is broken in our body. It's broken in our mind, and it's broken in our will. And your mind, your body, and your will are all part of your soul. Your soul encompasses your mind, your will, and your body. Sin has broken all of us. And pain, therefore, has inflicted our bodies. And we deal with this pain. We deal with the results of this brokenness in our body, and humanity suffers from the brokenness of God's design in our bodies. And many of us suffer this way. Shame has inflicted our minds. That's why when we sin, our minds carry the shame because shame is the result of the brokenness of God. In brokenness of God's design in our minds, in our soul, our soul has been broken from a relationship with God. But the good news is this. You ready for some good news? Jesus came to bring us freedom from the curse of sin and to bring fulfillment in our relationship with him. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came, and this is the restoring gospel of Jesus. It's through the resurrection of Jesus that we know that we can trust that Jesus and his words are truth. And he came to bring us freedom. And he came to bring fulfillment in, in, through him. Jesus would say, and he would be talking to his disciples, and he would, to the Jews, we, John would record this, to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Many people love to make this quote, but they, 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 they eliminate the first part of this. We love to say, hey, we not got to know the truth and the truth sets us free. But Jesus says, when you hold to my teaching, then you will, are my disciple and then you will know the truth. It's only when you hold to the teachings of, that I give. See, not just anything you believe to be true is true. Just because you believe it to be true does not make it true. Jesus said, who was the way, the truth, and the life, and his resurrection verifies that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, for those who hold on, my to hold on to my teaching, you're the ones that will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's only when we believe and follow the teachings of Jesus that his truth sets us free because Jesus came to bring us freedom. He came to set you and I free from the brokenness of our sin. And, and there's an enemy out there. There's an enemy out there that's waging war against you and against the identity of God that's in you. And that enemy wants to continue to see the image of God broken in your mind, in your will, and in your body. And that's why the enemy fights so hard. The enemy wants you to think that there is fulfillment and satisfaction in anything and everything else than the truth of Jesus. Because it's only in the truth of Jesus that you'll find freedom. And Jesus would say, I'm the only way for you to find fulfillment. 
He would say in John 10, the thief comes only, this is the only purpose of the enemy, to steal, kill, and destroy. And what's he want to destroy? The image of God in you. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus would say, I have come with a different purpose. That you may have life. That you and you and you may have life, but not just any life. Life to the full. It's the most fulfilling life Ever. See, when the enemy steals, comes to steal, still kill and destroy, Jesus came to give you freedom, and he wants you to be fulfilled. And it's through obedience in Jesus and his truth that we discover a pathway to freedom and fulfillment, a freedom and fulfillment that, has, that he has already done. It's not a freedom and fulfillment that you can earn for yourself. It's a freedom and a fulfillment that is through his finished work. On the cross. And for those of you that are, Jesus is new to you, we believe that Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live. And he came and he died on a cross to pay for the penalty for all of our sin, for all of time, for all of humanity who would trust in him. And we don't live in order for God to save us. We live because Jesus finished the work for us and has already saved us. Just like we said a couple weeks ago. See, we don't live for our salvation. We live from our salvation. We live from the perfect work of what Jesus has already done for us. And in Jesus, you're going to find freedom. And in Jesus, you're going to find fulfillment. The question is, will we hold on? Will we live in obedience to his truth? Or will we continue to live under the brokenness of what sin does to the image of God in our mind, our body, and our will. And this is how the first century disciples would lead. See, they would continue to encourage one another. Are you going to live from your salvation or are you going to still live from your brokenness? This is what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians. He would say, do you not know that wrongdoers will inherit the kingdom, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. And I would add, that is what all of us are. See, without Christ, every one of us can fit one of these descriptions. But we don't live for our salvation. We live from what Jesus has done for us. And Paul reminds us of the gospel right here. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. See, Jesus' perfect work and the blood of his sacrifice is what washes you, is what cleanses you from your sin. And Jesus' perfect work is what justifies you it's making you just as if you never sinned. It's his work, not yours. See, the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit make us right with God. And Paul here reminds us of the gospel work and the power, the gospel work of the Holy Spirit's power, the same power that brought Christ up from the dead is alive, working inside of all of those of us who trust in Jesus as our Savior and are following him as our Lord. See, the Holy Spirit does a cleansing work inside of us, making us new, giving us a new birth. This is what Jesus would say, you must be born again. And it's not a work you can do yourself. It's only through the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's not through behavior modification. It's through God transforming you from the inside 
out. And now that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we all have the power to live in the freedom and experience the fulfillment that Christ's work brings us. Freedom from the brokenness of sin. And freedom to walk away from those sins and become like Jesus. And then Paul continues to counter the culture of beliefs and challenges a quote in this modern day, in this day and age of the Corinthian era. This quote would, would, would this is what they would say in that day, and this was a, cult, a cultural um, uh, quote that they would use. They would say, I have the right to do anything. Doesn't sound too much different than our culture today, does it? I have the right, I, I have the right. I have my rights, and my right is to do anything. He said, you say this, but he would counter that. But not everything is beneficial. He would say it again, quoting it, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered. He says, this is how I counter I'm not going to be mastered by anything. You say, another cultural saying of that day, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body Look at this. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. This was a saying. This this saying that he would say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, in this was like saying sex was for the body. Sex is only physical. And when the body dies, that it's, it has nothing to do with our spirituality. It's so disconnected. It's only physical. Or it's my body, and I can do whatever I want with my body because it's my body. Never heard that before? But Paul says, it's not your body. See, your body, because of what Jesus has done, Jesus changes the paradigm on how we see our bodies. Your body is not for sexual immorality. It's not permission. Those desires don't give you permission. Your body is for the Lord. By his power, he'd go on to say, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Do you see how God sees you? Do you see, maybe you don't know this. Maybe you need to have a paradigm shift. See, God doesn't see you as just a body separate. God sees you as a member of Jesus. And if you don't know or you don't see, you need a paradigm shift, Paul says. To trust in Jesus is to see that your body is a member of Christ's body. And Paul wanted them to change their thinking about their bodies and change their thinking about their sexuality. See, your body and my body was made for God, and it shares a union with Christ. This is how we see our body. Your body was made by God. It was made for God to be in union with God. And when you see God's design for your whole person, God's design for your mind, for your, for your will, and for your body, when you see God's design for you, that it's not for you, it's actually for him. And when you know what God has done for you through the work of Jesus, you're going to see it differently. And when you see differently, we live differently. And how do we live? Well, Paul would say, flee Flee sexual immorality. Not how close can I get to the line? 
Not how far is too far. Not how, how much can I permit before I, I, I dishonor. No, no, no. He says get as far away from it as possible. Flee sexual immorality. But why? He goes on to say all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually, and listen to this, sins against their own, your own body see sexual sin destroys you and this is my this answers the question why what happened so many years ago we can carry so deeply with this still this is why when we argue that it's only physical we know it's not just physical why many of us carry shame and pain from the sexual sin that we've done in the past or when someone even sexually sinned against us, it hurts our minds. It hurts our emotions. It destroys that. It hurts your soul. That includes your body. It hurts all of us. So we need to see this differently. Paul says, I beg you, flee sexual immorality. See yourselves differently. And he would say it this way. Do you not know? Do you not see it this way? Do you not know this? Have you not transformed or renewed your mind in view of God's mercy on you? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? See, your body and your body and your body and your body is not your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. God is in you. And since God is in you, Paul would say, you are not your own. Talk about counterculture. That's counter to even what I want to believe sometimes. See, culture says my body is my own, and I can choose to do whatever I want. With my body. But Paul says that's the wrong paradigm. That's the wrong thinking. Do you not know that your body is God's body? Now, how, how dare you say that, Casey? Why would Paul even say that? Well, Paul would say, You were bought at a price. As Christ followers, we are counterculture because we see life through the sacrifice. Of Jesus. We see this through the sacrifice and the, and, and the penalty Jesus took on our behalf. And because of his resurrection to give us life, we see things differently. We see that we were bought at a price. That it was Christ's payment that brings us back into the family of God. And if without that, we have nothing with God. The price of Jesus is so precious and, and, and so this, and for those of you that feel like you have no value, look at my eyes. This right here shows you how much value, no matter what's happened to you and no matter what you've done, this right here shows you how much value you have to Christ. You were bought with the price that he gave. And Paul would say, therefore, Honor God with your bodies. See, to sin sexually is to ignore the sacrifice of Jesus, to shun the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and to misunderstand 
and miss out on how God views you. See, if God is in you, then you are God's holy temple. And you're like, okay, see, this is exactly why I don't read Paul's writings. I like to stick with the Jesus letters, okay? Just give me the red letters. And and this was Paul's teachings, not Jesus' teachings. Actually, no, Paul takes us directly from Jesus. And, and Jesus, uh, he, he, he's angered because he's in the temple courts and he sees they made it a marking place. He turns over the tables and the authorities, the religious authorities come to Jesus and say, by whose authority do you do this? And Jesus answers them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple <laughs> and you're going to rebuild it and raise it again in three days? But the temple, and this is John writing, The temple that he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, John would say something happened. We, the disciples, recalled what he had said. Then, look at this, they believed. It was after the resurrection. They believed the scriptures. What the prophets and the law pointed to Jesus and what he would do as a Messiah. And they then believed that the words that, that Jesus had spoken. See, Jesus' resurrection validated the scriptures and Jesus' teachings as truth. And when Jesus changed the paradigm here, he changed the paradigm of this temple and that that the epicenter of God encountering earth was no longer a temple made by man. No longer would the temple made by man be the epicenter where God's the creator of all things would enter his creation and, and, and it would not be a building anymore. It would be in a body. In Jesus, in every one of the Gospels, every one of the Gospels talk about the baptism of Jesus. And something happened in the baptism of Jesus that every one of the Gospels says the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And the Gospel writer would say he was filled with the Spirit. He was the only person in bodily form that was full of the Holy Spirit's power. He was the temple of God. Jesus saw himself as the temple of God because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was proof to the disciples and it was proof to the whole world that the Holy Spirit now would inhabit a new temple. No longer tents and tabernacles, no longer walls and roofs. Now the temple would be the people of God. After the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would descend and he, the Holy Spirit would come and inhabit the people. Of God. It's God as just as he designed it to be in the beginning. God in you. The hope of glory. See, Jesus and his disciples believe that when the Holy Spirit inhabits someone's body, their body is God's holy temple. Your body is now where heaven meets earth. Your body, wherever you go, is the presence of God in this world. And your body is not your own. Your body, you were bought with a price. And your body, our bodies, everybody's body belongs to God. So what do we do? We honor God with our bodies. Your bodies are not just physical. And the resurrected body of Jesus verifies the truth. It's the verification that the, tr- the Holy Spirit inhabits these physical bodies. So the disciples began to see people differently. They began to treat people differently. They saw people the way God saw people, the temples of God. You are no longer a body. You're a temple or a future temple, a potential temple of God. And they would never, and just as they would never dare walk irreverently in a structure that was considered a temple. 
They would dare not dishonor God's temple, which is now their body and the bodies of the people around them. See, we are to flee sexual immorality because it dishonors our body and everybody's body that is the temple of God. Sexual immorality, we need to see it as God sees it, dishonors God because it dishonors God's temple. So what is sexual immorality? We need to understand this. Well, Paul, I believe, clearly defines this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. In this, Paulie, Paul reveals the boundaries that God set and what is outside of the boundaries is sexual immorality. See, sexual immorality is any, any sexual activity that is not within the bounds of marriage between a husband and a wife. And you may say, well, Casey, that's what Paul says. I don't believe what Paul says. I only believe the red letters and what Jesus says. And Jesus did not oppose homosexuality. Jesus did not um, endorse, uh, you know, uh, the marriage between a husband and a wife. And, and some say this, and, and, I, and, man, I respect your arguments, but I want to show you that Jesus does endorse it. Jesus endorses marriage between a man and a woman. In Mark 10 and in Matthew 19, Jesus addresses the creation account, the original design. He addresses the creation account for our gender identity and speaks of the marriage union within these boundaries. Jesus not only identifies that marriage is between a husband and a wife, but also that the union of sex, the two becoming one, is, is this union that is sanctified between a man and a woman. And to anything outside that bounds, he would say is adultery. This is what he would say, but at the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And everybody in that culture knew exactly what Jesus was talking about in marriage and in this sexual union. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, God designed this and he ordained this in sin Sin is brokenness. And the enemy still wants you and I to live in that brokenness. And Jesus would say, and it was in the context of that anything outside of the bounds of this would be adultery, would be sexual immorality. Anything outside God's design doesn't honor the designer. Anything outside God's design does not honor God. Culture's value is not to honor God, but we who have been bought with the price, we live counter to culture, and we live in a way. We're not going to command that everybody else lives our way. We live in a way that is counter to culture because culture wants to serve themselves, but we do not serve ourselves, and we don't think like culture. And as followers of Jesus, our first priority is to honor God in everything we think and everything we say and everything we do. And when it comes to our sexual sexuality, our priority is to honor God, even at the cost of sacrificing a personal desire. And so here's the teaching big idea I want to leave you with. When sexual activity is not with only one spouse, it dishonors God's house. When sexual activity is not with only one spouse, it's a dishonor to God's house. When, we, when what you think 
What you say or what you do, when it, what the, the sexual thoughts or the sexual words or text or, or, or actions is, is not with only, with only your spouse. You destroy the house of God in you. And you dishonor the house of God that someone else is or could be and future could be. We dishonor and we dis- destroy. See, when a sexual thought is not with only your spouse, you dishonor that person's body. When, when a sexual uh, a word or a text message or, and, it's, and it's sexual in its, con- in its, its nature is not with only your spouse, it destroys and it dishonors God's house. When what you do is not with only your spouse, what you see is not with only your spouse. It's a dishonor to God's house. And this is not just for married people. This is for single people. Because single people, I want you to know, if you're married, if, if you're not married, this is your call. This is God, and the Holy Spirit will give you the power to live this way and honor God with your body. That This is what we do in response to his perfect work for us. We honor God by honoring others who are made in God's image and who are also broken and who Jesus showed that they are valuable. So much that he came to die for them. So I want to leave you with a couple things. First is this, is to sexualize someone else's body for your own pleasure is a sin that dishonors God. To sexualize someone's body is to turn their body into an object for our own selfish pleasure. And you've dishonored that temple or that future temple of God. And you've dishonored God. See, and this is not just for single people. This is for married people. See, married people, you can objectify your spouse. You can turn your spouse's body into your own sexual, selfish pleasure. And see, sex is a selfless act. This is the beautiful thing about sex. And teenagers, listen to this. Sex is sacred when it's selflessly given to only your spouse. That's when it's sacred. It's a sacred thing to be with only your spouse. This is what honors God. And it's not sacred when we demand it for our own pleasure. It's not sacred when I objectify someone and use their body for my selfish pleasure. That is not honoring God. It's sacred when we see this within God's design and when we see it to be selflessly given to only our spouse. Now, I want to be very clear with something. An attraction is not the sin. An attraction is not the sin. Acting on the attraction to someone who is not one's spouse is the sin. Attraction is not the same as lust. The initial thought that he's pretty or she's or he's handsome or she's pretty, that initial thought is not the sin. It's, it's what you do next. Will you go down? Will you go around the block to see that person again? Will you look back? This, it's that that comes into the process and the pattern of what would be called lust. See, in that moment, we have the choice that Paul would say, flee. That moment, flee. It's not, it's not wrong to say they're beautiful. It's not wrong to see they're handsome. But what are you going to do after that? What are you going to do after that? See, and, and the acting on that attraction is, is where, where the series of thoughts That becomes a sin. Jesus would call this lust. And in this, that's adultery. And that is a sin. See, whether you have an attraction to the opposite sex or maybe you're here and you have a same-sex attraction, I want you to know that your attraction is not the sin. And I want you to hear me on this because the church has done this wrong and has hurt so many people. Your attraction is not your sin. It's what you do with that attraction that becomes the sin. 
And for those of you that are same-sex attracted, I want you to know that we want to be a community that comes around you. We want to, we want to help. We want to be a, a community that accepts you. And, and we want to help you, help you honor God in the same way we all are on this pathway to honor God. Because every one of us have the same calling to honor God with the bodies that we have. See, we honor God, our bodies as the temple of God that belongs to God. And here's a beautiful thing. No matter how your attraction is, the Holy Spirit gives you and I the power, enables in you and I the power to walk in a way and live in a way, to think, say, and do, to things we think, say, and do, to live in a way that honors God and honors the bodies of others, that we honor our bodies as a temple that, of God that belongs to God. And when we're in a sacred space, we live differently. And we see people as sacred, we'll see them differently. We'll treat them differently. And even though you may not be happy with your design, you may not be happy with your body, you're going to see your body doesn't belong to you. But your body belongs to God, and so you're going to honor God with your body. And not just your body. We're going to honor everybody's body. Because their body is the temple of God. We're a future temple of God. This is counterculture. This is counterculture. See, to see that any sexual activity that is not with only your spouse is a dishonor to God's house is counterculture. And what would it look like? Just what would it look like to see ourselves as the temple of God and to see other people as the temple or future temple of God? You know what this will do? This will keep us from misusing our own bodies. It will keep us from abusing the bodies of other people. What would it look like in our world if just Christ followers, just Christ followers, just the church lived this way? And if you're not a Christ follower, if Jesus is new to you, I mean, at least admit that this is how you want that teenage boy to treat your teenage daughter. This, is, what, what, this would be an ethic that you would love for, for that teenage girl to treat your teenage son. Single people, this is how you want people to treat you. What would it do? This, what would this do to our marriages if we saw even our wife and our husband's body the same way that Jesus sees it? What would, what would it look like if we saw everybody else's body, that other person on the screen, sir, that other person on the screen, ma'am? What if you saw that? It would destroy the porn industry. Maybe not destroy, but it would put a big impact if just the church alone did this. This is counterculture. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you and I, empowering you and I to see differently. And for those of us today, maybe you need to have a paradigm shift. And today, I want to give you an opportunity to make that confession. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing the song, I'm just going to ask you to stand in honor of God and his work for us. And I'm going to ask you that if you need to make a paradigm shift, if you need to see your body differently, or if you need to see other people's bodies differently, you use this song as a declaration of your paradigm shift of your repentance. Will you stand with me? And let's sing this together. For the honor of the Father who reaches out to us that we might live inside his love he gave his only son.
how we will honor the cross and the price he paid. We'll see our bodies and everybody's body the way God sees it as the temple, the future temple of a holy God. There are three things I want to invite you into, some next steps. They're all in your notes so you don't have to write anything down. They're putting it up on the screen. The first is this. Our prayer partner is going to be available. They'd love to pray with anybody that would like prayer this morning. Or if you'd like prayer and you would like to just do it anonymously, you can text that to the number on the screen or you can write it on a Connect card and fill that out. The second thing are two other opportunities that are, are, are for you that uh, would help you in this. This is my prayer for you. May you see yourself differently. That God wants you to be His temple. And may you see other people of his mercy and his perfect will and they are temples of God God bless you Westside may you live in a way that honors him we'll see you next